Again, I'm so happy that all of you are here tonight, and I know some had no idea that this was a big book launch celebration, <laughs> another night at Mission Dharma, and I guess really the book launch is just another, that is another expression of Mission Dharma, since all I can think about today, and really ever since this book came into being, is that that it wasn't, even though I may receive the notoriety for it and my name is on it, but it really is, it was written by everyone. It was written by everyone I've ever talked to, anyone I've ever learned from. It was written by all the teachers and the teachings and the lineages and the it, it is just a confluence of, of so many, and I'm not trying to deflect this, but so many non-personal causes and conditions came together for that book to manifest. And so I, I cannot entirely, of course, I can't entirely take ownership of it. And, I, and one of the places that I know that it, it does not exist apart from is this community that I've been, been just working up my chops for, for 31 years every Tuesday, you know, experimenting week after week with ways of, of shaping instructions and, and trying to find a language that would, would be accessible and meaningful. Uh, one that would evoke the the living Dharma, the 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 awakening that is that is in each of us, the capacity that we have to to feel our heart release a little by little, letting go just a little bit and then a lot, and then sometimes completely. And I know that just playing with that all through the years and pointing to that those words that, that have come out here on Tuesday night are in that book. In fact, I, I've been encouraged to read a little bit and you'll hear the, the same thing you hear on Tuesday nights. <laughs> the present moment. You're hearing this expression a lot these days. But what exactly is the present moment? I've just described the place of calm and ease, but it's also the place of relentless deadlines and to-do lists, of car repairs and tax returns, of regrets and disappointments, and the myriad other anxieties and sorrows that accompany human existence. How can these two places possibly be the same? Well, consider how many of your anxieties stem from events in the future and then consider that the future is not part of the present moment. The future hasn't happened yet. You can only imagine the future. It's not real. And consider that your regrets and disappointments, such as that failed relationship, that job you lost, or that comment that you wish you hadn't made, stem from events that have already happened. Whether they happened last year, last month, or in the last hour, these events are in the past. And the past has passed. The past is not part of the present moment. Those events are now memories, and memories live in your imagination. 
You can only imagine the past. It's not real. Perhaps you can see now that the past and the future are actually imaginary. They are not real. They are real in the sense that you did experience the past and you will experience the future, but they're not real in the sense they are, that they are not happening now. They are not part of the present moment. And yet we sit, spend so much time each day lost in thoughts of our past and future, lost in imaginings of where we think we came from, where we think we're going, and who we think we are. In truth, these imaginings are just that. They are imaginary. What a joy to wake up to the simple reality of the present moment. So, <laughs> it's just what we talk about here every Tuesday. It somehow sounds different when I read it, though. <laughs> Tell you the truth, I like it better when it's, when it's just us speaking together. And, but, you know, it's nice to have this on paper and hopefully many people will read it and, and although I'm so deeply appreciative of you supporting the book and being here and just supporting the celebration, one of the, the greatest way that you can support the book is to tell people to, and you yourself if you'd like to, tell people to, uh, to buy it because if people buy it then it then it, um, the word spreads and that's how we can actually, that's how mission dharma can, you know, our mission is dharma and our mission is to, to help people find a little relief in their life. And anyway, it was a joy to, to be part of this book project, but I, I can hardly say a word without uh, acknowledging the uh, person whose, whose passion and inspiration really drove this, um, drove me to participate in this project, and that is the editor of this book, whose name is Elizabeth Yarbrough. You'll read about her in the acknowledgments if you, if you buy the book, but she's here tonight, and she's reluctant to, to take any of the airtime, but this book would not have happened if it wasn't for her. She saw so clearly that there was, a, that there was a, an unmet need, there was an audience of people who, who might be interested in meditation, but they, there was no book that, would, that really spoke to people who don't know anything about anything and who, who, wouldn't, who wouldn't, I don't mean everything literally, but, but who wouldn't necessarily go to the spiritual book section and look up Buddhism or Buddha Dharma or Vipassana or Insight Meditation, but, would, but has heard about meditation, but would need to, would want to read it in a language that they could understand and that, that wouldn't ask them to join anything or believe anything, and, but just to introduce them to the life of the unfolding present. And so that was Elizabeth's passion, uh, being a, seeing the world of, of books and, and working for a, a big publisher that thought a little bit that, um, and I shouldn't say this, but they thought this, this kind of book was kind of woo-woo. 
and but that that publisher is getting with the program and they've created a beautiful book and uh, they spent I think I even mentioned last week that I think they spent more time on the packaging of the book than, I, than we spent writing it but but they've created a beautiful book and hopefully that will draw people to read what's inside and but anyway thank you Elizabeth would you be willing to stand up please Yay! Thank you. And you know, while I'm doing acknowledgments, the, um, the planning group for, for Mission Dharma and the people who serve Mission Dharma all the time, they didn't have to do this tonight, but uh, tell me, please tell me if I forget anybody. Tara, Dave, Mary, Anne, Noemi, David, Catherine, Tim. We have a wonderful cadre of people who love the Dharma, love practice, love supporting this community. And again, they have helped keep us afloat all these years. Linda, who greets everyone at the, at the door. And so many that have come before, at just deep bows. Carrie, who, who has really driven the, the um, Carrie has filmed almost every Tuesday whenever she's here and she has been uh, just a, a tireless advocate for our community and our, and our practice here. Before this event, she sent out, she hand clicked, what was it, 4,000 invitations to the page that she created for the book. On, for Facebook and you know it's just so much a fountain of generosity and and wonder just sweet and so I'm so I, I know none of what I do here is apart from all those who support me my wife who would, definitely doesn't want attention <laughs> would you stand up Annie <laughs> just kidding just kidding <laughs> anyway Annie Annie is, uh, besides being the best therapist that I know, and my therapist, <laughs> she is my therapist, uh, is the, just the most just heart, heartful, joyful, loving partner. So she's just boo, you know, booing my spirit all the time. And my daughter Molly, who's like I've written in every single biography, in the last many years, she's my guru because she's just, her molliness just reminds me how each of us is just so uniquely ourselves and, and emerging from all of life creating us and, and not one of us is a mistake or should be other than the way we are. And if we could just tune into that, that Dharma essence, that nature that we are, we would be so much happier. It's like. Who's not just the way you should be? <laughs> Yet this li a little narrative of the imagined past and future is constantly telling us, oh, I should be different than the way I am. I should be more something. I should have more titles. I should be busier. I should be less busy. 
I should be taller, I should be wealthier, I should be better informed, I should... It's exhausting <laughs> to be measuring all the time. And what's missed in the middle of it is that, that place where there is no measurement. It's just molliness or daveness or tariness. That doesn't mean that each of our individuality, we, we are such creative expressions of life that we can't stop growing and developing, but it's just so easy to, to, um, to actually stop, impede that process of growth by being busy too much thinking that we should be different. Anyway, so thank you, Annie, Molly, everybody for Carrie, unbelievable force of generosity and so we're you know we're really and thanks San Francisco where we're safe to meet like this and we can trash political candidates and <laughs> we can actually talk about having compassion for the for the craziest political candidates for their, we can, we can actually reflect on what are the causes and conditions that lead them to be able to, to, be, un, to be unaware, oblivious of the impact of their words and actions. And we can, our heart can go out to, their, to them. That's rare in this world. We're, you know, we can do that here. We're safe. We're safe to meet like this. Billions of people, or millions of people, couldn't meet like this. We couldn't speak about matters like the nature of our hearts and minds if we weren't towing some line. So we're really lucky. I'm thankful for that too. And I think life in the Bay Area has shaped this book. And, but I, I have to, when I think about this, I, I think about all of the, the magical strains of conditions since this is you know, the river metaphor is used so much in, in Dharma practice, how all, how all tributaries feed into the, into the main river and the river feeds into the ocean. I, am, I feel like I'm, each of us is our own ocean. And, and all the tributaries of all the causes and conditions in each of our lives has shaped us, has led us to be the only possible way we could be up to this point, given all the causes and conditions. It's that, it's that understanding of, of interbeing, that we don't exist apart from everything that has shaped us. And so clearly I don't, I don't live apart from everything that shaped us. And if I, I think of Elizabeth showing up on Tuesday night, her friend Eve bringing her here. Is that correct, Elizabeth? Eve Ekman bringing her here. And those are causes and conditions. Elizabeth, you know, loving, the, loving to hear the teachings of Dharma and, and, having, have, and the tributary of her life was that she worked for a, a publisher and was an editor. And then, you know, one thing leads to another. Now, would that book happen without all those conditions happening? Of course not. But you could think of the same with your life, and every element of your life is made up of some tributary that has fed into the river that is your life and opens up into the ocean of your consciousness where all those parts come together into the 
the vividness of your living present moment. Like, so how can you not, given everything that has come together for you to be, even if, you've, if it's come together that, and you're in a point of, of stress or sorrow or, or pain, how can you not be somewhat in awe of the non, of how not personal it all is in that way? It is uniquely personal and that things have come together uniquely for you, but it's not personal in that, that everything that's happened to you is made up of things that are not your fault. It's not my fault that people showed up here. It's not my fault that about in 2010, 2010, we were here at the church after many causes and conditions that led us to be able to be at this church. But in 2010, the church says, you know, we're getting tired of all these, these people leaving a mess here and renting. We've had every, every um, kind of group here. I think we're going to raise the rent to a, what's felt like an astronomical amount. Now, good-hearted people in our group said, hmm, maybe we'll have to leave here. And a few people got together and and said, oh, let's figure out what we can do. And before I know it, some, one Sunday I open up my computer and I get an email from Andrea who's sitting here. She says, congratulations, you now have a website, which I didn't ask for. And I, just a, a, an output of generosity because of these circumstances. And out of that, and then another person who worked at Google says, I'll create a, a listserv a Google list and that person who's no longer around here but she made it possible for us to almost within weeks or months have we had a thousand people and and so we started sending out notices and then we started all of a sudden a few more people were coming we started making a little more explicit Donna talks to remind people that this room costs a little more money and and you're still here and supporting the scene. It, we're still, it's still happening. Now that didn't, that was a confluence of many circumstances. And interestingly enough, because we, we got a little bit larger, in the old days when we came together to sit, when the group was a little smaller, there often wasn't any instruction at all. We just sat quietly. People came in, it was quiet, and maybe some people preferred it in the old days. But then, but because it got a little larger and many, many new people were coming in who didn't know anything about meditation, I started giving weekly instructions. I hadn't done that for the first 15, maybe longer. Weekly instructions. And out of those instructions came this book. Some of what's in this book. And then just to think about all of my, all of what has, all the tributaries that have shaped, you know, my life, that my, all my gurus. I always think of, of um, Will Kabat-Zinn, who, who roasted, who, uh, who emceed my 60th birthday party here. He called me the, the, the uh, what's his name, Forrest Gump of the Dharma scene. <laughs> Because I'd stumbled, literally stumbled on different teachers over, over just 
countless teachers over the course of my my life stumbled on the Dalai Lama when I didn't know who he was, the Shmali Lama. I, and I, somebody, somebody told me to go visit him and I went to his house in Dharamsala. They opened the door and said, come in. And it just turned out that he had just come out of retreat. He had been on a six-week retreat. He came out of his retreat in order to meet with some Tibetans from Ladakh, from up in the north. He expressly came out and along with the Ladakhis, I got invited in. And we exchanged, you know, scarves and touched our heads and he said, go sit with, go sit with a Lama, the, the, the local Lama here who, who teaches Westerners. And I, I can't remember his name, but for the next several weeks I, I took teachings and Week after week, I heard the same teaching over and over. Appreciate the preciousness of your life. This life is precious. Make something of it. You live at a time where there are teachings and teachers and practices. And, and, and it's being offered in a language you can understand. And these conditions can change. And that was the, the second thing he talked about over and over again. Conditions can change. Life is marked by impermanence, unreliability, weather, war, change of resources, loss of whatever it is. Conditions can change. So, so appreciate. Don't assume everything will last forever. Just open to that fact of impermanent. Enter the stream of life. Don't be trying to control so tightly the flow of life. Open that tight fist of grasping. So then the third thing, he kept saying over and over, your actions, every action that you engage in, your thoughts, your words, your actions, every one of them is a seed being planted. This moment is empty and open to whatever seed you plant. And you can plant the seed of love, of generosity, of patience, of wholesome forces, or you can plant the seed of judgment, ill will, comparing, diminishing, unworthiness, whatever it is. And that if you are awake, you give yourself the opportunity if you're awake, which means you're aware and you are, you are current with your awareness, that you can make a clear intention to plant wholesome seeds and then maintain those wholesome seeds. And your actions don't just, they don't just go somewhere into outer space, they produce results. And depending on the motivation behind those actions, if you're, if you're motivated by love, by service, by being a benefit, by non-harming, then those actions, even ones that, that, that um, you don't even know whether they will, you know, how they'll turn out, they will tend to have more wholesome results. So just having that idea of planting seeds and of course, it, when you're in that scene, the encouragement is that you dedicate your thoughts and words to, um, to the commitment to awaken for the benefit of all beings. 
So every day, planting that seed, may my, my speech, may my thoughts, may my actions be for the benefit. May my life be for the benefit. And I used to do that every day until I felt as though when I'd say, may my life be for the benefit, I felt this sense of, of my life being bigger than just my own little personal desires. And that's just from inclining my mind. That's just the fact of karma. What seed you plant produces a result. So. Anyway, and then the, th the last thing they talked about over and over. So the first one was the preciousness of life. Second was the, the fact of impermanence and that our conditions can change and that we have to find a, a well-being that doesn't depend on conditions and stability. And the third was that our actions matter. And the fourth is, is, uh, is to just open to the fact that everybody's life has difficulties in it, that life is marked by unsatisfactoriness, that it's not weird, it's not just you, that everybody has strain and struggle in their life at some point. And the way they described it was that, that samsara is, has defects. <laughs> it's defective. <laughs> samsara is this endless cycle of life and, and, and that so life is like that. And so not to, be, and it's really our it's our contentiousness with that basic fact that keeps us struggling and straining, that exacerbates everything that's difficult in our life. And that it's possible to be in harmony with the difficulties of life, not fighting so much. So all of that, those seeds planted, that, has, that stream has run through me my whole life. All the, that intention to be a benefit, that appreciation for life, just being more, more what's so with um, impermanence. And then being a member of what we call the Dukkha Club. Which means I, I don't have hope for a life that doesn't have some challenges in it. I'm not, I'm not, I don't have a jaundice or I don't embellish the fact that life has difficulty. But I just try to open to it the way it is. So that was the Dalai Lama through that little stream, and then there was Joseph Goldstein, my root Vipassana teacher, who just gave a, one of the Joseph talks on the Four Noble Truths. The moment I heard just the, the what-so of the Four Noble Truths, I just wept in joy that somebody was just saying it. Somebody wasn't saying, oh, you know, buy this and you can be happy. They were saying, yeah, where happiness is really to be found is sitting right in the middle of your life, whatever is presenting itself. So Joseph, undying, undying gratitude and appreciation, and uh, he's in that book. Jack Cornfield, who is my ment teaching mentor, who's, who I like to consider, you know, I. The way I've described this book is that he wrote a, a, an exquisite foreword that I, that I think, <laughs> and I'm, I'm not trying to be humble, but it, it's better than the book. <laughs> it's so good. It was so sweet and just shaped so beautifully that I'm, you know, I'm just appreciative to that. And I'm also appreciative to his, um, his amazing generosity. He has been a fountain of generosity in bringing and creating conditions for people like me who was just a passionate yogi 
who spent three years of my life in silence and had not a clue how to translate that into, into daily life, into a, a livelihood, to, into some way that I could be of service. And he, he and Joseph invited me in and said, you know, you should, you should do this. And he's done that for me, he's done that for, for many. And he's done it in a way where he's appreciated each person, each person's different strain, their different flavor of Dharma and teaching. And every, because um, every person has their own transmission based on their own confluence of, of tributaries. And he's, ha he's been masterful at being able to accommodate a whole range of different views about the Dharma itself. So I'm deeply grateful for that and I, I feel like I've internalized some of that, the values that are carried in that. So much appreciation to Jack. And you know, I could spend the whole night talking about s countless people. I don't exist alone apart from all of them. And yet at the same time, I think the hardest thing here is to I think the thing I'm most proud of about myself is that I can, that I've been able to, to accommodate all of, the, all of the, the grace and all the love and all the different kinds of things that I've learned and be able to, to even sit in this seat and be able to even handle this night because I'm actually slightly prone to introversion. And so even to be able to, I'm, I'm proud of myself for being able to sit here tonight. <laughs> But beyond that, I, you know, where do I where do I place the pride? You know, <laughs> everything, everything is so non-personal. You know, I I brought along Thich Nhat Hanh. He just says it so perfectly. He says, "You and me, you are me, and I am you." Isn't it obvious that we inter are? You cultivate the flower in yourself, so that I will be beautiful. I transform the garbage in myself so that you will not have to suffer. I support you, you support me, I am in this world to offer you peace, you are in this world to bring me joy. And that you have, you have brought me a lot of joy in this, by being here tonight, by your practice, by your support of this book, and um, I don't know, any questions, <laughs> comments? Um, You want to hear a little more? I'll just turn to a page. Indeed, there are many opportunities in daily life to plant the seeds of meditation and awaken the experience of natural happiness. All you have to bring, all you have to do is bring a kind, interested, and relaxed attention to whatever you are doing in the present moment. Be it working at your desk, washing dishes, even brushing your teeth. Whatever the task, feel the movements and micro-movements of your body. Witness your felt sensations. Notice your thoughts, moods, and emotions without judgment. And let your body breathe. Meditation doesn't have to be a big undertaking. By simply being mindful of your thoughts and actions throughout the day, 
just one moment at a time, you can live in a state of meditative awareness, which is itself a form of meditation. The more frequently you do so, the more comfortable and skilled you will become at abiding in the present moment. The more you will undo the mind's habit of wanting to be somewhere else, even while engaging in mundane tasks. The more you will see that no task feels mundane when we do it meditatively, that the mundane is in fact miraculous. That the ordinary is in fact extraordinary. I think I'll stop there. So I think maybe it's time to do a little more signing and, and share the blessings of our time together. So again, as each week we, we consider that sense that we don't, and something we feel intimately when we're just quiet for a moment. And as Pablo Neruda says, we stop swinging our arms so much, we, we feel that sense of interbeing, non-separateness. And our heart opens and we consider. We don't even have to consider it, just that spontaneous feeling of, of wanting our life to, to be a benefit. And so as we end tonight, we wish, as we always do, that our, um, the fruits and the benefits and the merit and the goodness from our practice is shared and we, we send the blessings of our practice with a deep wish that all beings in all different circumstances, all those who are being born into this world, those who are, are dying, all the creatures, the animals of the air, of the earth of the waters, all beings without exception, we wish that they can have happiness and peace and the causes of happiness and peace in their lives, which is virtue, presence, goodwill, and we wish that all beings can be free of suffering and the causes of suffering is non-virtue, distractedness, ill will. We wish that all beings can recognize and never be separated from the sacred happiness that is without sorrow, here and now, the very nature of our own mind and a deep wish that our capacity to meet the joys and sorrows with serenity and equanimity becomes unshakable for all beings, including ourselves, and that our practice be continually dedicated to the awakening of all beings. May all beings be free.
thank you so much and hope you enjoy the book and enjoy sharing the book and and anyone who would like to to purchase a book or who has purchased and wants me to sign I'll be sitting in the back for a little while longer thank you thanks for your generosity and supporting mission dharma what's that uh, no. Thank you. Anyway, books will also be available in future weeks in case you're not getting it.